Nah, I wouldn't recommend him. He's just a jack-of-all-trades. Oh, yes, he's wonderful. He's a jack-of-all-trades. He can fix anything. Well, you know what they say. Jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Should you be a jack-of-all-trades? Hi, this is Roger Kugler. This is Working at Woodworking Podcast, where I'm hoping that I can encourage you to take your woodworking skills to the next level, throw out your shingle, open your business, help your community solve their woodworking problems. Now, this term, jack-of-all-trades, has been around for a, well, a very long time. An absolute Johannes Factotum. Well, in 1592, that is how Robert Greene referred to William Shakespeare in his booklet, Greene's Groats Worth of Wit. It seems that William Shakespeare had been kind of hanging around a theater and, you know, just kind of picking up a little job here, a little job there, helping with the scenery, maybe some wardrobe, yeah, doing a bit of acting and trying his hand at directing. It seemed to be an annoyance to Robert Greene, and he made this quote, an absolute Johannes factotum, it's kind of in a derogatory fashion. Johannes is Latin for Jack, and a factotum is an employee who does all kinds of work. That's a modern version, which is not very far off from, from the original 16th century version. And that's actually the first time the name William Shakespeare is uh, appears in print, uh, 1592. Now, throughout the 1600s, there's there's... Dozens and dozens of references to the term jack-of-all-trades. Some of them are meant derogatorily. Some of them are kind of a term of an endearment, a compliment. The couplet, Master of None, was added sometime in the uh, 1600s, so a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none became popular. By 1732, there was a phrase... Similar to, but very informative, a man of many trades begs his bread on Sundays. These people were very much into rhyme back then. I mean, come on, they didn't have YouTube or or video games. Then someplace around 1735 in Poor Richard's Almanac, there appears to be a reference, a jack-of-all-trades and a master of one quoted by Benjamin Franklin. There's other quotes, a jack-of-all-trades, a master of some, that were bandied about in literature through the 1800s, and we end up with a jack-of-all-trades, a master of none, but better than a master of one. So that's kind of a positive thing. It's better to be a jack-of-all-trades than just a matter of one. So, what say you? Should you be a jack-of-all-trades? I know, you've been doing your woodworking thing for quite a while. You're getting pretty good at it. You can fix a broken window, make a wooden screen door, fix Mrs. Smith's rocking chair. But you don't really specialize in anything. 
you're not a master of even one. And you're asking yourself, should you go into business? You've been hemming and hawing about this? You've been anguishing sleepless nights? Well, yes, I say you should strive to be a jack-of-all-trades. Now, here's why. Number one, self-confidence. Two, self-reliance. And three, self-fulfillment. Let's break this down. Oh, wait a minute. There's a whole bunch of selves in here. Sounds like we're a bit conceited now, doesn't it? Well, we are talking about self-employment, aren't we? Self-confidence. This is a journey, kind of a self-discovery, a, a natural journey. Do you remember the first time you learned you could manipulate matter with your hands? Yeah, anybody who's had children knows that you're sitting in a high chair as an eight-month-old and you've discovered that food is a lot of fun to play with. You can push it around your little plastic tray. You can throw it against the walls. Don't ask me how I know this. You graduate from the high chair into a sandbox, and now you can pick this stuff up in your hand, and it just kind of flows through the your fingers. You can throw it. You can throw it at someone. Then you're scolded not to throw sand. You can build things with it, like sand castles, especially at the beach. Maybe you're more Midwestern and you just have to settle for a muddy cornfield. But you learn how to use your hands to shape the world around you. And pretty soon they send you off to school and you learn how to manipulate letters into words. And you can spell cat and dog and sternoclaviomastoid process. Numbers come along, and you learn to count. That's a form of manipulation. You can count the number of bugs in your sister's hair. Mommy, Sally has seven bugs in her hair. And then both people start screaming. Ah, that was great fun. Later in high school, you learn algebra and English and science and history. Some go off to college to be specialists to be masters in one field. And then after four, five, eight years, they decide they don't really like that field. Do you know that only about 46% of college graduates get a job in their field after graduation? So you spend all this time, all this hard work, all this partying, and most people don't even get a job in what they're studying. And I found another statistic that showed about 33% of college graduates were working in a job that doesn't require a college degree. So I don't know. There might be something kind of messed up with our college system. So after 40 years, only about 4%, less than 4%, I've seen down to 1% and 2%, of college graduates are still working in their degree field. So are you a master at that time? Oh yeah, I would definitely say so. The average person will have four careers over the course of their life. It used to be that if you were a farmer, if you were born on a farm, chances were pretty good you would die on a farm. Then we had that industrial revolution type thing and 
you know, all the farm people went to the city to work in the factories. So there's two careers right there, but four careers over the course of their life. I even saw one statistic that suggested seven careers over the course of your life. I would kind of think that that would make you a jack-of-all-trades. Just saying. So from this self-confidence comes, well, it's really about learning about yourself. What do you like? What don't you like? I myself, I love solving problems. I got an email from a lady. She sent pictures that they recently moved back to town and one of her upholstered chairs had the leg broken off, the back leg. And I mean, it, 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 it just snapped. It was a clean 90 degree break. Um, no splitting involved. It, it was just literally broken off. Like you see in a bar fight in an old Western. I love figuring out how to fix these type of things. You don't have anything that you can really glue back together. You're going to have to reinforce that joint without taking all the upholstery apart. I really, really don't like to do that because that just opens up another can of worms. You could take the upholstery apart, take out that piece, make a new piece, put that back in. Uh, I'm kind of lazy, and if I don't have to do that, I'm going to try to find some way to avoid that. And here, what I could do is drill probably a half inch, maybe a five-eighths inch hole, square and plumb through both sides of the break, and stick in maybe an oak dowel that's been roughened up considerably, or maybe even a steel dowel that I've taken to the grinder and, and created some flats and some grooves into it with uh, thickened epoxy. And stick this all together, clamp it, because you build up a little hydraulic pressure in there. That thing will come apart overnight, and then you really have a mess. So anytime that you're compressing something like that, make sure that it's clamped. Don't be terribly surprised if you don't see a little bit of this oozing out someplace other than the actual break, because you're creating a lot of, of hydraulic pressure in there. If there's a tiny little crack someplace, that will find its way out. But it will re-glue itself at the same time, so it's usually not a concern. That would be a quick and fairly easy repair to this. I think much better than tearing the entire thing apart. Because remember, we can only make something as strong as the wood itself. It could break in the future, but probably not right there at that joint. It's going to break in clean wood. Anyway, sorry about that. I also enjoy restoring 100-year-old canoes, which I am so far behind on doing at the moment. What I don't like? Drywall. Yeah, I'll admit it. I'm pretty good at drywall. Don't really like to do it anymore. Used to make a bunch of money doing drywall. I still watch videos. It's still interesting to me. I love watching the skill that other people have developed, but eh, just don't really want to do drywall. If I have to, such as a 
built-in furniture, cabinets, bookcases, something like that, and I have to remove some drywall, I don't hesitate because I can fix it. And that kind of brings us to number two, that self-reliance thing. The more you know, the more you can break because you know that you can fix it. If you don't know how to do something and it has to get done on a job, well, you're going to have to hire someone who does know how to do that. And if you know how to do it, well, that's just going to save you some money. And actually, more importantly, aggravation time just to find somebody who can do this for you because everybody is busy. You know, if you might have spent a summer helping your uncle rewire his house or build a garage and you know something about electrical and your shop vac starts smoking (laughs) or just stops working, you can probably tear that apart and figure out what's what's wrong. You know, probably 96% of all electrical failures are due to an interruption of connectivity. So if you can figure what broke, you can probably fix it. Maybe you're in a position that you can build a new shop. Man, the more of that you can do yourself, the more money, time, and aggravation you're going to save yourself. If you can do your own concrete work, although I'm really not liking concrete more and more. It's gotten so expensive. But if you can do your own carpentry work, which is basically woodwork with a big fat pencil... You can build your own shop, of course, after you go through all the legal ramifications of jumping through hoops, building apartment, pulling permits, and things like that. We want to be the on the up and up. But more of these types of skills that you have, the more versatile you are, the more self-reliant you can be. I mean, old farmers knew how to do everything. They need to lay up a new block milk house? No problem. Frame out a 612 roof? Not a problem. Throw down some shingles? Yeah, easy. Handle that in the afternoon. Something broken a tractor? Where'd I put my welder? And that leads to the term a farmer's weld. Not perfect, not pretty, but it gets the job done. You can continue to combine. And I think in, in woodworking, unless you're, I don't know, a luthier, where you're really, really specialized, having these additional skills just kind of opens up your world and increases the possibilities of things you can you can do. Self-fulfillment, number three. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Finding something that you enjoy, that you get contentment from, and you can make some money. If you have skills, you can provide for yourself and your family. Now, sometimes you might have an employer that you're providing your skills for. That's great because this is a wonderful opportunity for you to build your skills and getting paid for it at the same time. So if you're, you know, a young gal, young guy uh, working for someone that allows you to kind of, you know, do more than what you're asked, great opportunity to broaden your horizons, as they say. So if you have the self-confidence from building skills and self-reliance that you can do this, you get the self-fulfillment of your labor. You can make a living and continue to build your skills. 
Skills are like investing in a good stock portfolio. They grow and give great returns if they're managed well. So what's the alternative? Maybe you don't want to be a jack of all trades. Maybe you really want to be a master of one. Okay, go for it. You might want to check out North Bennett Street School, Boston, Massachusetts. They have a number of different programs. They've really expanded over the years. The September 23 through June 24 schedule list tuition at $25,800. We'll round it to $26,000 a year. So for two years, their program, you're going to have about $52,000 in this. You're also going to have about $4,000 in hand tools and an estimated $3,500 in materials. Now they have some road trips, some travel options that they estimate is going to cost you around $300. Now they can increase tuition by up to 7.5% a year or so. Yeah, things could change. Now they do have a neat calculator on their website that I ran some numbers and it turns out that looks like most people are eligible for about $15,000 in grants and scholarships. And they also very conveniently, you know, popped in there about $10,000 in federal student loans. Some subsidized, some not. So we're looking at about the cost of college. Now, you're only going to go two years as opposed to a four-year degree. You may not know anything about Socrates, but you'll probably know how to make a mortise and tenon joint. Well, if you go to a four-year school, you may not know anything about Socrates. Yeah, probably depends on, on your major. So you complete a two-year school at North Bennett Street. You've got some skills. What can you do with these? Well, you could open up your own shop, try to make a living using hand tools. Good luck with that. Maybe you'll land a position in a mill shop or a cabinet shop. Work there for a few years and discover, eh, this really isn't for me. At least you landed a job in your major, unlike 54% of the other people who go to college. But you decide that, I really would rather sell insurance. And so you spend 15 years doing that. And someplace along the way there, you decide that, you know, maybe I could do some custom furniture. Just something on the side. I actually enjoyed the work. Didn't enjoy the cabinet shop. So you start up a little business. And you run your little shop for a few years, and then you decide, don't really like selling insurance anymore. I'm going to go full-time. Good for you. That almost makes you a jack-of-all-trades. So, what's right for you? Should you be a factotum? An employee who does all kinds of work? <laughs> uh, if you are, you will never go a day without a job. That would be incredibly valuable to some employers. You know, a lot of employers is like, oh, no, that's not in my job description. I can't do that. Ugh. If you're willing to work, you should never be unemployed. Should you be a master of one? It's good work if you can get it. It's kind of like being a brain surgeon. I mean, that's really good work very valued work. 
until the zombie apocalypse, and then you may not uh, have that many brain surgeries to do. Probably plenty of lacerations and broken bones, so that degree didn't go to waste. Kind of almost a jack-of-all-trades situation again. Hmm. How about this? A jack-of-all-trades and a master of one is much better than a master of none. I think we might be onto something here. So if you're a young person searching for a career, maybe you've got that college degree that, yeah, you don't want to do that for the rest of your life. Master something. Really almost anything. Because it will lead to something else, eventually. Go get a welding certificate. Learn to weld professionally. Then maybe in 10 years, you're building slab tables with welded bases underneath them. One thing builds upon another. And remember, when you're picking something, this isn't a lifetime endeavor. Not anymore. We average between four and seven careers over our lifetime. So pick something to master first. And then there might be a second and a third and a fourth. I think I'm on my what? One, two, three. I'm on my third career right now. This one kind of seems to stick. If you are an older person, well, you already have skills. So how can you apply these to woodworking? If you're a, a dentist, you are used to the sound of a pneumatic drill. I could see you using that skill in doing some engraving, maybe some pierce carving. Maybe you could learn to turn, or perhaps you're already a turner, and use that drill to do some really intricate pierce carving with that. Then you sell those, you know, vases and bowls and, and things. People are incredibly creative with that. And let's be honest, you're the only one who can actually stand the sound of a dentist drill. Maybe you're a school teacher. Oh, and you're afraid of a little piece of wood? Really? You've been hurting squirrels all your life. You're not afraid of anything. You got this. Whatever you want to do. Maybe you are an insurance salesman. You've got people skills. You can sell anything. Figure out what you want to make. Start selling it. Perhaps you're a veteran. Well, you know the military community. So figure out how you can serve them. What sounds like fun? Maybe you want to get into a CNC machine. Kind of expensive, but you can make all kinds of signs, all kinds of other things. And that stuff really does seem to sell if you're doing it right. And at your advanced age, you probably have some resources you can invest in this. But have fun. We're not getting any younger. And as we get older and older, we kind of figure out that, yeah, we really kind of are a jack-of-all-trades and hopefully a master of, well, maybe four by the time you hit retirement. And even in retirement, well, <laughs> there's an opportunity to start something new. Remember, at a cocktail party of academic elites, and the toilet stops up, do you want to call a plumber with a master's degree, or do you want to call a master plumber? 
I'll leave that decision up to you. Recommendations for this week? Mm, none. Miss job? Yeah, that upholstery, uh, uh, that upholstered chair. I, I'm, I think I'm going to pass on that. I am just so far behind on, well, canoes and other things. So I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to have to say no, which is a really hard word for me to say. So a special thanks to listeners in Halls Crossroads, Tennessee, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and one listener in Morocco. Oh, and I received an email from our one listener in Luxembourg who says he's at kind of the enviable position of getting ready to retire next year. His wife has forbidden any new projects for the home. Apparently, she has enough. And her children have put a moratorium on any new projects from their dad. So he says he really has no choice except to go into business and start selling some of his projects. Good for you, dude. Enjoy your retirement. So if you'd like to support the show, if you found this interesting and helpful, you can buy me a cup of coffee like a gentleman in Luxembourg did. Greatly appreciate that. Check out the affiliate links in the show notes. And until next episode, happy woodworking. <laughs>